Well, this is Thanksgiving season, and we have much to be thankful for, don't we? Much to be thankful for. So we're going to talk today about Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to take a little break from First Peter just because we're going to talk about being thankful today. And the question I have is, can we really be thankful? I know the answer is yes. But do we really know what it means to be thankful? Do we really get it? Do we really understand what it means to be thankful for all things in all circumstances? Now, we're coming off of a good Thanksgiving holiday. My wife and I were down and visited our kids down in Hillsdale and had a great time with our grandchildren, and, and it was so much fun. And it's so easy to be thankful when everybody's healthy. But, you know, little Caden, the little one-year-old little boy, had a little snuffle that night, and he kind of got a cough, and it kind of got harder. And so we had to, I had to exercise my spiritual faith here to be thankful for a little boy that's not feeling good. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes, when you don't recognize and you don't realize why do we have to have a cold? What is the significance of a cold? And why do we have to have it, especially for little boys, little children? But we need to be thankful for all things, and we need to understand that it's imperative that we be thankful in all things. If we're going to line up with God's Word, then we need to be thankful because God's Word says that. And we're going to learn why he says it in a little bit. I have a little video I want to show you right now that will help us bring the point home of what are we thankful for. When we step back and take a look at this world, we see beauty. We see tall mountains that reach the highest altitudes. We see great bodies of water that cover most of Earth's unsearched surface. We see deep valleys that divide one mountain from another. We see man-made inventions that are results of hard work and creativity. Above all, we see people. The most beautiful of all creation, people. Yet with all this beauty in the world, we still see great sadness, vast hatred, constant war, abundant evil, unexplainable pain, poverty, division, terrorism, and oppression. What is there to be thankful for? We can be thankful for our health, family, friendships, freedom, home, education, clean water, food, and employment. But what about those that don't have these things? What can they be thankful for? And what if all these things we have today were taken away from us? What then would we be thankful for? Is our thankfulness based on what we have here on earth? Or is it based on something much greater than ourselves? Something eternal. Something that you don't lose when you die, but you gain. Something that cannot be taken from you because it goes on forever. Your life that God crafted out of the love and goodness of his heart and wrapped it in a perfect and eternal purpose that can't be compared to the pain experienced in our earthly bodies nor matched to the beauty we see in this world. We can be thankful for the breath of life that makes us the living beings we are, that we don't just walk the surface of this planet aimlessly with nothing to look forward to but we exist to forever experience over and over again the grace, love, 
and joy of our Creator, Jesus Christ. Let's be thankful for everything we have here on earth, but above all, be thankful for our salvation and for what is yet to come. You know, maybe sometimes the reasons that we aren't thankful is because we have our thoughts and our thankfulness in the wrong things. Maybe sometimes we're so thankful for the physical things, the way I feel today, that we lose the reason for why am I really thankful. Because, you know, if I'm just being thankful for the way I feel, then right now I'm really thankful. But as soon as I walk out of this building today and I have my first problem, all of a sudden my feelings might take away my thankfulness. You know what I'm talking about? First Thessalonians chapter 5, our text for the day, says this, beginning at verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. But what happens when bad things happen? Are there situations in life that are so bad that we're not to be thankful for them? Can life get so bad for me that I'm not to be thankful? Can I really be thankful in all circumstances? Well, according to God's Word, we can be, and we are to be. But the question is, what is a circumstance? What is a circumstance? A circumstance is defined as anything that is uncontrollable or the way something happens. How does that make you feel? What do you think about circumstances? Do they make you a little uneasy sometimes? Because there are some things that are happening around us that are out of our control. We like to be in control, don't we? I do. I don't like it when things come to me that are out of my control. So how am I supposed to be thankful when there's a, chick, a sick child that's out of my control or a broken bone or a lost, a lost job or financial pressures or family stresses or personal struggles with people that seemingly are out of my control? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Let me help you here if I can. First of all, the question must be asked is, are you a committed follower of Jesus? Are you a committed follower of Jesus? Because if you're not, then I will tell you right now that you will never have peace and that you never can truly be thankful. If you're playing the game of Christianity, then you'll never be thankful for it. So the question has to be asked from the very beginning, am I a committed follower of Christ? And until I can answer that truthfully, yes, then I'm never really going to be thankful. And I'm never really truly going to have peace. Does that make sense? Is that a good word? So let me ask the question. Why aren't we truly committed followers of Christ? 
Now, I know some of you are saying, well, Mike, I am a committed follower, and thank the Lord you are, because I know there's some are that are here, here that are. But there are others here that are not, that are thinking they should have the benefits of godliness, the benefits of God's grace and everything else, but yet they're not truly a committed follower of Christ. So to that person or persons, I would say, listen and get your heart right with the Lord. I had an older pastor friend one time tell me this, and I have not yet done this. And maybe when my hair gets a little bit grayer or a little bit less, I might have enough gall to ask the question. But when someone would walk into his office for counseling, the one of the first things he would say to them after he asked them, are you a committed follower of Christ? The next question would be, do you tithe? It's not because he needed the money. It's not because the church was hurting for finances. But it was a test of that person's obedience would give him the authority to pray or not to pray. Because he could not pray for a person that wasn't already lining up with God's word when they knew better. Does that make sense? You see, to the sinner, we can't ask him that question. To a person that doesn't know Jesus, we can't ask him, do you tithe? No, what we could do is we pray for them and we love them and we trust God's power to do a mighty thing in their life, a sign and wonder as Rip loves, a sign and wonder that would get their attention on Jesus. And then we talk about the greater things of God's word. But for those of us here this morning that are followers of God, We need to see it a little different because we don't have an excuse when it comes to being thankful in all circumstances. Amen? We need to make sure that we're lining our lives up with God's Word and we're living in a way that we know of so that Romans 8.28 means something to us. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to his purpose. That's a promise that you and I have today. If I'm a committed follower of Christ, then everything that happens to me, every circumstance that comes into my life, God uses for my betterment. Amen? Do we get that? Do we agree with that? But if I'm not truly following God, if I'm truly not obeying him, if I'm truly not walking along the precepts that I know I need to be walking out in, and then still expecting God to be my genie, let me tell you, it's not going to work because God is no man's genie. I would ask you to go home. I'm not going to read it today, but I would ask you to go home and read Romans chapter 1. Write this down on that piece of paper if you have one with the verses on it. I didn't even list it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. On your own time, read that. And then ask yourself some questions. Ask yourself some questions. Does any of this verse apply to me? Please, take the time today to do that. Paul makes it clear as a believer in Jesus Christ and as a committed follower, that we know that all things work together for those that love him. That is an amazing, an amazing promise that we can walk into today with full assurance that if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter what happens to you, it's going to be for your good and not for your demise. I've heard it said, Jackie brought it to my attention, 
uh, earlier in the week, that no matter what happens to your life, no matter what happens to you, nothing happens to you until it's filtered through the fingers of God. Now, isn't that an awesome thought? Nothing comes into your life as a committed follower of Jesus Christ that doesn't first come through the hands of God. The devil cannot put anything on you that God first hasn't filtered through his hands of love. Does that mean it's all going to be good? Then why do we get so upset when things don't work out good? If we know that, why then are we so surprised by the things of this world that don't please us? How do you think Jesus felt? When he was 25, 26 years old, before he entered his ministry, at some point in time in his life, don't know when, maybe it was 12 years old when he was, um, when he was forgotten by his parents at the temple because he was in talking to the priests. He was talking about things that were beyond his ability to know as a 12-year-old. So they marveled at this young boy. How does this young boy know these things? Well, at some point in time, Jesus knew who he was. How do you think Jesus felt about a wooden cross when he knew that someday he was going to be hanging on one. See, it's interesting how we look at things like this. Because what the devil would use to bring great pain and inflict injustice, God sees it as a way to bring justice and bring life. The cross was meant to kill. Jesus was not the first one that died on a cross, by the way. It was a very common way the Romans would kill um, Jewish people and all people that would come against the, the Roman rule. In fact, they would hang them on the crosses by the roads that people would walk by after, day after day, and they would see these people hanging there and suffocating to death, and then they would leave them there to rot. So the cross was a very well-known form of execution. What do you think Jesus thought about that? You see, I think that we have to realize that when we look at the problems that the enemy would bring in to destroy and to distract and to cause us great pain, when we're committed followers of Jesus, Jesus was a committed follower of his Father. Amen? <laughs> Did Jesus ever not follow his Father? But yet he saw what was going to be brought upon him as the devil would bring it as a source of pain and inflict much pain and injury and death, but Jesus had a way to see beyond that because it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that he could sit down at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus saw this thing that the devil was going to bring to bring pain and death, and Jesus saw it bigger than what it was as a way to life, eternal life for me, just for me and just for you. And just for anyone that would accept it. And that brought Jesus great joy. For the joy set before him, the joy was not the cross. The joy was you and I. We give him the joy. The fact that he would take the time out of his busy schedule, like we said this morning, and come down and visit with us this morning and minister to us as he did, that brings him great joy. And the only reason he has that joy is because he was obedient to the cross. He was obedient to go through the pain of the, of the moment of the sacrifice so that we could have the joy that we have today. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many people have that memorized? But how many people have the full chapter memorized when it comes to knowing that the person that he's talking to here is not the person that is half-hearted. The person that he's talking to is the person that's full in, fully committed to Jesus Christ. We have to recognize that we have a responsibility to live in a way that would not make us worthy of God's blessings, but we would line up with God's word so that we could be in a position to receive them because of our obedience. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Paul again speaking, he says, Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every situation, every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be careful how we live so that our life will give glory to Jesus, so that we can be thankful that everything he allows to come into our life will glorify him. Paul is saying to be very wise and to be careful. See, God's will for us is to enjoy this life to the fullest. God wants you to be happy in this life. Can I tell you that much? But he's not going to give you happiness at the expense of eternity. He wants you to be fulfilled in this life. And here's the way. Do you want to be fulfilled in this life? Can I just tell you a secret? Do you want the secret of, God, of peace in this life? Do you want it? How much are you willing to pay for it? It's free. All you need to do is commit your heart to Jesus and live for him without compromise. It's those that compromise their lifestyles for him that are ones that lose the peace. When you live for Christ wise. You avoid the sin. You avoid the traps that would come to give you the consequences of unfulfillment in your life. It's unfortunate that many people have a hard time with this concept. They have a hard time with the fact that rather than being wise and avoiding the sin, they run into the sin and then think that they're going to be rescued from it even while they're still doing it. (laughs) Even while they're still in the midst of it. And I think you all know what I'm talking about because, you know, I used to ride the fence. I know what it's like to be a fence rider. And it's not comfortable at all. It's it's very uncomfortable to ride the fence. I know what it's like as a young person and even as a young married person to play the game of Christianity, to know what it's like, to know what to say in church, to know what to say when I'm around church people. And then when I get in my business world or I get with my friends, I'm just like them. I know how painful it is. There's no joy there. There's no peace there. There's great conflict, in fact, because you know what's right, but you're not doing it. Then don't expect God to bail you out 
when you're living a lifestyle of unforgiveness, unrepentant, lifestyle of playing the game, thinking that he owes you something. Because the only thing he owes you, if that's your lifestyle, is justice. And you know what justice looks like? Not good. See, God's perfect will for us assumes that we're going to take some level of responsibility for how we live so that we don't have to pay the consequences for our own foolish mistakes that come along with those bad things, those choices that we make. Therefore, do not be foolish, he says, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine. Now, it says that. Well, do not get drunk on wine with lead to debauchery. Basically, what it's saying is the world will run to the drink or run to the drugs or run to the shopping sprees or run to the habits of whatever it is that makes you happy at the moment. For me, it used to be golf. For me, it used to be something like that. I would run to that, not just alcohol, anything that would, I would run to that I would run away from my problems. I'll run to this. I'll run to that. Rather than, rather than deal with my problems head on, I'll run to whatever makes me feel good for the moment, thinking that that's going to bring me peace. And while I'm doing it, by the way, when I'm in the middle of my round of golf, I really had peace. But when I got over, when it was over, I felt guilt because I knew it wasn't the right way to really spend my time. And I think you know what, you're ta- I think you know what it feels like for you, whatever your vice is. Because we all have them, don't we? Whatever yours is, you have one. And all I'm saying is that what God's looking for is a repentant heart here. God never uses, can I just say this? God never uses an unrepentant sin in his plan to save our lives. The devil brings sin to destroy us. But God never uses an unrepented sin. Now, he will use a repented sin but never use an unrepented because as long as it's unrepented, I'm in no relationship with Jesus. Do you see you know that? If I have a sin in my life that I'm covering over, that I'm not addressing, that I'm not dealing with, then I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just say that? Lovingly, can we understand that if I'm playing the game, I have no relationship. God still loves me. Jesus still loves me. He's still reaching out to me. He's still calling to me, but he's asking me to repent. Repentance takes lots of hard work. It's hard work to repent. It's easy to say, I'm sorry, and then go right back into the sin. It's hard to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm repenting, and now I'm not going to go back into that sin. I'm going to make a lifestyle change. I'm going to change my friends if I have to. I'm not going to go to the places that, draw, that drew me into the world. I am going to work to repent, and I'm going to ask the Lord to give me the grace to do that. And with that, then, comes a repentant heart. And then God will take what Satan intended to destroy, and he will turn it into something that will be good for us. Now, here's something that maybe we struggle with, too. God's will doesn't end up, doesn't end with us carrying the negative consequences for our sin. God's will does not end with us carrying the negative consequences. Even though God forgives us, however, there are still scars that will ride with the person for the rest of their life. Does that mean that God didn't forgive? No. God totally forgave you. 
but there may be scars of your sin that will, are resting with you that you're carrying through the rest of your life. And this is something we need to address it. We need to understand it for this reason, because the devil will take those scars as a way to keep throwing up your sin in your face so you never can deal with it, you never can forgive yourself. Forgiving yourself does not give you eternal life. Only Jesus' forgiveness gives you eternal life. Forgiving yourself releases you from having to deal with the scars that are a result of your sinful choices prior to you being repentant. And if we, when we can see those scars as being necessary, as being something that God's not going to heal, he's not going to take away the scars, but he is going to forgive you, you need to recognize that. And first of all, understand, according to Psalms 103, that you are forgiven. You come to the Lord with a repentant heart. He will forgive. Psalms 103, verses 8 through 12. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, and they're pretty high, for as great, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He says east from the west because the east and the west never meet. So therefore, he never brings your sins back. He never recalls them. He never calls them out of the closet to say, well, you're acting good now, but let me tell you when. No, God doesn't do that. Hebrews ten seventeen. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. God chooses. And these where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Where God forgives, then you're off the hook. You don't have to go back and make amends for it because God has forgiven you. And so therefore, those that are struggling here with this issue of remembering the sin and the enemy bringing it back up to you, let me just tell you once and for all that it's done. You're forgiven. You're free. You don't have to go back to that sin any longer. You've repented from it, and now you're clear. Now you can go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Now you can then take the promises of God's Word and be thankful in all circumstances because you did not do what the world does. The world runs from their problems. The world buries their problems with all kinds of vices, but the problems never leave them. If you're running from a problem, can I just tell you, if you're running from a problem, no matter how fast you run, it'll beat you to your destination. How many people have run from church to church to church only to have the same pastor problems or the same problem with people? Believe me, if you're running from anything, the problem is faster than you because it will meet you at your destination. The only way to deal with it is to deal with it. Head on. If it's going to be painful, so be it. If it's going to cause you to change, so be it. If it's going to cause you to love people more, so be it. Whatever it takes, deal with the problem. Head on. And let the Holy Spirit fill you. Don't be filled with wine and that will lead to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, says, let the Spirit boil up inside of you to Boil the problems out so that you can deal with them. Matthew Henry has a commentary on this particular passage. It says, People are very apt to complain of bad times. It were well if that stirred them more to redeem time. Be not unwise. 
Ignorance of our duty and neglect of our souls show the greatest folly. All God's people have reason to sing for joy. Though we are not always singing, we should always be giving thanks, even in our trials and afflictions, for all things being satisfied of their loving intent and the good that God brings in them. God's plan for us is to be satisfied in the problems, not looking for the workaround all the time, but to be satisfied in the problems so that God can work out his loving intent for you. So many times we see a problem and we think it's time to run. No, it's not time to run. It's time to get on your knees. No man is taller than when he's on his knees. No person can be taller and of more character than when they're on their knees before God facing a problem. Running is not the answer. Bearing it, covering it over with some other vice is not the answer. The answer is dealing with it head on, letting the Spirit fill you, and then be thankful. Psalm 101, I'm sorry, Psalms 100, verses 4 through 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. See, we have so much to be thankful for. Those that are truly committed to Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. Now, I want to take just a minute here. I know it's past 12, but I got started late, so therefore I'm going to go a little bit later because the Holy Spirit interrupted. <laughs> he didn't let us do our plan. <clears throat> so it's the Holy Spirit's problem. If you've got problems with me, take it up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I want to take a little different perspective here of trouble. Because we always think that trouble is bad. But I think that we need to recognize that if we really believe that God is good and he's a good, good father, we sing that song a lot, don't we? He's a good, good father. But when we recognize he's a good, good father, recognize what good, good fathers do. They discipline. Yeah. A good father disciplines. Okay. I didn't get too many amens on, um, amens on that one. Psalms 118, verse 18. The Lord has chastened me or disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. <laughs> the, the psalmist, he's so sly here. The Lord has disciplined me severely. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. He has chastised me. He has disciplined me. Go home and read all of 118 today and let the Holy Spirit reveal to you the context of that passage because he may be teaching you a lesson. The Lord chastens us. He disciplines us. Why would he do that? Can somebody tell me why the Lord would discipline us? One word. Love. He loves us so much he wants to make sure that you're following him and not anything false. So he will then take it to the nth degree and he will, if you're professing a life relationship with him, then he will test you in that. He will test you in that. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us so much. The Lord chastens us. Psalms 94, verse 12. The Lord knows all human plans. 
<laughs> he knows that they are futile. <laughs> Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. My plans look so good to me. My plans look so good on paper. My plans look so good, but they're futile in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord says, Mike, let me show you a better way. Boom. Slap. Let me show you a better way. The writer of Hebrews gives us much to think about, about a loving father disciplining a child. And I know we all hate this passage, but we've got to read it. Hebrews chapter 12, the beginning of verse 5. And, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father? as a father addresses his son, a word of encouragement. <laughs> and it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Therefore, endure hardship as discipline, because God is treating you as his children. Yeah. For what, ch what, for, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, by the way, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. However, we have all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. You see God's bigger picture of things? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So why in the world am I talking about discipline on a Thanksgiving message? Why would I be bringing this terrible topic up when I'm talking about being thankful? Because I'm thankful that God loves me enough to discipline me as a son. I would, I would hate it. If God said, Mike, I love you, but I'm, going to let you, I'm, I'm just going to let you wander around aimlessly in life, and if you find me, you find me. If you don't, you don't. What a terrible father that would be. No, I want a father that's going to keep me on track, and if I start getting off track a little bit, he's going to send something or somebody in my life to get my attention. I know the room's quiet because this is painful now. But later on, it'll bring a harvest of righteousness if we'll, if we'll agree with it, if we'll submit to it. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Admonish, what does admonish mean? To correct to redirect. You see a brother that's maybe flailing in some things or struggling in some things? First get the plank out of your eye. Then go and help your brother with the speck in his eye. But we have a responsibility, though, to our brothers. And as a godly man, I should submit to godly authority, and I should submit to a Christian brother that would come to me and say, Mike, are you okay? Can I help you with something? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. 
singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, there's so much to be thankful for there. So much. I want you to know that problems that come your way are not necessarily problems if you're submitting your life to Christ. There are opportunities to be trained. There are opportunities to be taught. There are opportunities to have your faith strengthened because as you sit and watch God work, He will. No problem is too big for God to solve. No problem is too big for God to solve. Sometimes He just wants you to sit and rest. Sometimes his discipline says, I'm I'm wearing you out because you've been running so hard, so fast, doing so much in the name of good. You're just winding yourself up in pieces and you need to stop and you need to relax. So therefore, I'm going to discipline you for a little bit. This is a good word, folks. This is not an admonition. This is not that you're sinful people. These are, these are people, remember, I'm, we're talking to people here that are fully submitted to Christ. So if I have a problem, if I lose a job, if I have a sick child, if I'm struggling in some areas of my life, God's saying, Mike, I want you to slow down and I want you to focus on me and let me walk you through this area and I will get you through it. Amen. That's his promise. He's not going to take you so far than drop you like a dirty rag. That's not the God we serve. It's what the devil would make you feel, but it's not Jesus. Yeah. There's so much. Verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jackie, do you have a song? That's a great song. Why don't you come and start playing that, and that'll make me stop. (laughs) So as as we move through this Thanksgiving season into the Christmas season, can we take some time this morning to reflect on our lives and ask ourselves some questions. First of all, where is my heart? Am I truly a committed follower of Jesus? Number one, am I truly committed to him? Are you truly committed to him? I mean, seriously. Because until you get that question answered, everything else is futile. Because if my heart is truly committed on Jesus, then I really can be thankful for the circumstances of my life. I really can be thankful because I know that God has my life in order because I've committed my life to him and I'm changing, I'm repenting, I'm doing the changing. God doesn't need to change anything. I'm the one that has to do the changing, not God. So as, I, as my heart is committed to him, I'm willingly following his lead and I'm looking for his will in everything. And so that when people come to me and I see perceived problems with people, they're not problems, they're people. I love the people. 
I have issues at jobs. I have issues with my finances. They're not problems. They're just a detail that God's using to fine-tune me a little bit. Revelations 3, 19 and 20. For those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. (laughs) Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So the most important thing I can ask of you this morning as you go into this season of thankfulness is, is your heart open to Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, there are many things in this life that would give us many questions that we just don't know the answers to. There is no man that can answer every question. But Lord, we have a great relationship with the one that does have the answers. And that is you. So Father, I pray that we would remove every obstacle, anything in my life that would be a hindrance to me having that relationship with you, being the answer giver. Would you show to me what it is? And would I then do the hard work of removing it? And would I accept your forgiveness? And would I then be qualified to move as a child, as an adopted son into the kingdom? And that I could take you at your word then at that point for everything that happens to me. I can be thankful in it because I know that you've got the bigger picture in mind and the bigger picture is eternity. I thank you for that. So this morning, as your eyes are closed this morning, I would just invite you to take the next minute or so just to do some soul searching and ask the Lord those areas in your life where maybe you've been playing some games a little bit. Maybe you've been giving yourself some indulgences a little bit. Maybe it's time to recognize that things need to stop. Things need to change. And that you need to really take this as a serious admonition, a serious correction, a serious time of discipline from a loving father because he is a good, good father.
Father, we thank you for your goodness today. And Lord, we just bathe in your goodness and we just say thank you for everything. Everything that happens in our life, we commit it to you. We walk in your goodness today. Encourage us as we go to our homes. Love us. Help us to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your good, good Father. Do you?